Hello and welcome back to the When Coaching Goes Wrong podcast. First of all, I want to say a massive thank you to you, the listeners. The first couple of episodes have been really well received. I've had many, many calls and texts regarding how important people have found that other coaches are sharing and how they're willing to share more and also just be a bit vulnerable. Mistakes are okay. Failure is okay as long as you reflect and learn and find how we can all get better together. So, yeah, a big thank you for that. If you're ever interested in more contact coach work, you know, I'm on Instagram and I'm also on Facebook, all the social media, but I also have some coach education webinars you might be interested in and you can find them at thecontactcoach.com. On this episode, I'm joined by Ricky Tahere. He is from Canterbury, New Zealand, very experienced coach. He's also had a really cool career involving being a chef and in different environments. So this is a pretty cool one. Ricky's currently the game developer with the Canterbury Rugby Union. So he's very prominent in one of the world's best rugby environments. And he's also the director and founder of the Global Draft. So why don't we jump into this one? Because I know you're going to enjoy it. Hey, Ricky, thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm doing real good. It's an uh, um, uh, honor to be on your on your pod. So, yeah, looking forward to our conversation. Nah, thank you. And look, I really appreciate people joining and sharing the story. It's all about uh, giving bits of nuggets for people to, to go away with and learn from. And also myself, you know, I'm very selfish in that sense. Like I like to learn as much as, any, as anyone. So, hey, mate, just tell me. Tell me a little bit about your background and, and where and how you got to to where you are now. Yeah, I guess the the short story is um, I was a chef, hated chefing, still had a massive passion for rugby, decided to go and study, and then now I work for the Canterbury Rugby Union. But I think like most people's stories, it's a little bit, a little bit for me to get where I am at was actually a little bit of a, a longer journey to what it sounds like. So, but yeah, I'm really privileged and honored to be working for um, such a great um, brand, I guess, or a, a rugby union like Canterbury Rugby. It's always been, I think when you think of Canterbury Rugby, the legacy, the people that have come from it, the coaches that have come out of the Canterbury region. Um, yeah, it's it's a real honor to be be working for the for the for the union awesome and so what do you do what's your what's your day-to-day job yeah so i'm a what we call a game developer and so part of my role is around and probably the large chunk of my role is around coach education so developing our coaches um from our wee rippers from when they first start all the way up to a um our kind of our pre-performance coaches trying to get them onto that um journey to becoming professional semi-professional coaches so um, a real range of coach education stuff and then um, also deal with player development within the junior and teenage grades so delivering skill camps going out there doing tackle clinics and scrum factories and all the good stuff that we love around rugby so um, yeah that's my my day-to-day and then yeah a little bit a little bit of uh, podcasting as well with um, Canterbury Rugby just trying to figure similar to you a little bit selfish um, talking to some epic people, but also trying to figure out how do I best support our community? If they can't come to us, can we go to them? Yeah, what a, what a pretty concept. And the thing is, the world's getting smaller now, right? So what an, what an amazing opportunity to reach so many 
so many different people, which is which is awesome. So, hey, look, I want to I want to tap into you mentioned there you were a chef. Like, come on, yeah. there must be something in there where you from those days, although you said you didn't necessarily enjoy it, there must be something you can take from that environment what has been potentially transplanted into rugby or or which served you well in in a rugby environment. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that around like what are the transferable skills, right? So I think there's there's quite a few. For me, food was a passion. Like I loved cooking. I love being around food. I love eating food like most of us. Like it was one of those, one of those things. And so at once school finished, I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I thought I'd become a chef. Um, becoming a professional rugby player back in those days wasn't a, a real thing. Um, so, yeah, ended, ended up becoming a chef. And I think the biggest lessons I learned along the way was around probably a sense of excellence, like, um, and what that meant as a chef. And it's really important to understand that part because if you understand what excellence is, your whole purpose is to create memorable uh, experiences for your customers that are coming in. So they're coming into a restaurant and it could be for an anniversary, they could be proposing, it could be like a business deal, it could be something that generally when people go out for dinners, we thought about them in a way of like how can we make their experience a memorable experience. Yeah. Um, And so that transferred into my coaching how can I make what I do? So if I treat the players like a customer, how can I make their experience enjoyable? How can I make a long-lasting kind of impact on them so that they remember something or you know they just enjoy their time? And we talk to coaches a lot around, um, especially with our junior rugby coaches. You're not here to coach them to become the next All Blacks or the next Crusaders. You're here to coach them to fall in love with the game, nice. and I think that's that sometimes does get missed. That that love of like why we first started playing, like it was probably our dads and they're teaching us some rubbish drill, tackling a, a tackle bag or whatever it was, but you loved the game, like you fell in love with it, and I think that there sometimes can get um, forgotten about. Um, so yeah, I've just brought that passion that I had for food and kind of implanted it into, into my coaching, I guess, or the way that I approach, approach my coaching or my role. What a really, really cool way of, of looking at it. Like just ensuring that anyone who comes into your environment, a coached environment is like, like really feels like they're getting, getting the kind of a star treatment right like everything you're teaching them has been thoughtful and thought about and and caring like i really really like that principle actually that was uh that's a nice way to look at it because you're right when you go out for for dinner it's usually you you always remember you always remember a good meal and you always remember a bad meal right you know what i mean and that's then it's probably similar like i if i ask the question to people tell me about your best teacher or your worst teacher you can usually pretty quickly rattle off and uh i guess you want to be on the right side of that that question oh that's cool so when when did you start um start coaching uh, like at what point did you transfer from playing into coaching um and what was that transition like yeah it was 
funny you asked that question because we had to do a thing here where it was like kind of tell us at work a little group exercise and you know tell us about yourself and who you are and I was going back through some old photos because I was creating the slide deck and I found this photo of me at high school and I think it'd, it'd be close to like 20 years ago like coaching a basketball team so back then I was already doing like most of us we coach at school mm-hmm. some junior teams and I was like that's pretty crazy that my first coaching experience was way back then and so it was I didn't start coaching properly until after we gave up I gave up kind of the knives and the apron and that was maybe 2011-ish around then. And the reason why I got into coaching was I was playing, got back into playing rugby again after a number of years out, and I was just playing with my friends, as we all do, but I didn't enjoy or I wasn't as enjoying the Saturdays as much as I used to. Like the actual trainings, I I enjoyed the trainings more than the competition on the Saturday. Saturday was me getting like I had to play rugby to get to the beers. Like that was, yeah, that was my, my thought. And what, and then, what, was, what was making you, what, what, what was your feelings there? Did you, do you, do you now know why, or did you know at the time why actually the competition part wasn't the most exciting part? Did, did you understand that at the time or was it just, you kind of went along with it? Um, I think what it was, like the body hurt like Monday, Tuesday, like just was was sore. And by the time Saturday came around, I'd probably only just got right. And then I had to go through that whole period. So the body was sore and I wasn't conditioned as well as I probably should have been. But it was probably the fact that like I still had that competitive edge, mm-hmm. but I didn't have it all, as much as I wanted on the field. Like I, you know, I could I could take it or leave it. But I have reflected on it and like I knew that the the dream dream of becoming a professional rugby player is like completely dead. But there's another way that I could probably like the goal could still be the same, but shift a little bit. Like if mm-hmm. I wanted to become a professional coach, a professional sports person, coaching might be a good route. And considering mm-hmm. that I enjoy the trainings more than I enjoy the game, yeah, that's when I started to like kind of pivot into going. Okay, well, let's dig in here and let's have a crack. What does this all mean? And so um, that, I guess, that fire for cooking had vanished um, to a point where I want to follow this other another passion of mine, which was sport and which was rugby. So that's when I went to university and studied a bachelor's of coaching degree. And that's when like my eyes just like kind of opened up to the world of like, oh, this is coaching. I get it. I get it now. And that was then when I was like thought I had it. And I still, even now, I still don't know if I fully understand coaching. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those journeys that you're constantly practicing, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. So how old were you at this stage when you you took on your first your first kind of official coaching, rugby coaching gig? Was it was it at university as part of a course, or was it before that? Um, it was probably it was probably at university, so I probably would have been about twenty five, yeah, twenty four, twenty five at that stage. Um, coaching, who was I think it was uh, Saint Thomas's second fifteen team, and like that there was a hell of an experience. Like it was, 
would have one training a week, would play on a Wednesday, and I'd say 40% of our players were rugby league players. Okay. Rugby league on a Saturday for their, their club because but they still enjoyed playing rugby, so they played with their mates on a Wednesday and, like, they had the the absolute raw talent of, like, they knew how to run unders lines, they knew how to, like, suffocate the ball, but they didn't understand the laws of the game. And so that there was, like, a massive, like, barrier to, like, try and coach these, like, you have to roll away from the tackle, like, you... Mm-hmm. When you get back onto your feet, you can't. You have to like literally have no hands on the, like on the player before you go for the ball, and like you're teaching the, like stuff that we got taught, you know, under tens, under elevens. Like these yeah. these boys hadn't been taught it, and so you had to coach that through to them. You had to coach them, like working as a team. Like it's not just one off running that we're we're not. We want to play an invasion game. We don't want to play a contact crash mm. and bash style game, mm. and so it was like a. Yeah, it was a real eye-opening challenge there. And then obviously also, you know, teenage boys, how reliable they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I've been one. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and so how did you so what I tell you what, as a as a a new novice coach at, at 25, having to be thrown in or choosing to be thrown in at the deep end regarding like how do you literally teach people a new sport yes there's similarities like how how did you overcome that or, or did you overcome that um I don't think I did like if, I, if I'm being real honest I think I just coached the way that I'd been coached like most of us when mm. we first started out coaching like we just I still had probably a player's lens to the game like I was probably more of like thinking that I was still a player and like I'm a mentor rather than a coach. Mm. Like when you do this, this is what you're trying to do. Like I understood the coaching principles and and coaching or at that stage I felt like I understood it. But it was probably, yeah, it was probably in that year I did some real deep learning and understanding around actually this what I was doing I thought was coaching but it wasn't really coaching it was just helping the lads try and be a little bit better each week rather than probably what I do now when I'm coaching teams or or people like I was way more direct I was telling them what to do um I was probably doing more showing than letting them do it and explore it so I was I probably talked way more than anything and now it's I'm probably gone the other side where it's probably more like questioning like how did that feel what could you what could we have changed you know have you thought around any other ways that we could potentially do it like those types of like guided discovery questions I didn't probably have in my back pocket like I do now Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know if that answers your question but I think that's that that was probably where I was at at that stage of like real like almost like a not a dictator but maybe a friendly dictator if there ever is one. It's so so interesting you say that because I've I reflect on my own coaching as a younger coach and also many conversations I've had. It's it's a very similar concept that 
when you first go into coaching, it's like, right, I must know absolutely everything. I'm at the top of the tree here and I, I'm going to tell everyone everything I know about the game whilst not knowing this, but I knew very little, you know, I thought I knew a lot and I didn't know a lot. And it was just such an interesting thing. And I, I had a conversation with a coach actually last night around that, how I personally went in with a mindset, no, like, look, I I'm here. And I also want to prove to you how much I know stuff. And this is how you do it. And this is how we're going to do it without taking into consideration, actually, what the needs of the group were and also what essentially my needs were, you know, and where, where was my role? So I think it's, it's a, a pretty well trodden, trodden path of, of early coaching and just trying to be in that dictator. And cause you just want to show everyone how much, you know, and you don't want to, you, you don't want to be vulnerable, right? That's, yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. common thing. Yeah. And I, and I think like reflecting, like if I even like, to the most recent campaign that I've just done, like coached a Canary 15s team that um, took on the New Zealand Heartland team. And I think there was, there was a lot of things there where, um, where we probably could have done a lot better. And I think that's the, that's the key or one of the keys to be, to being a, good coaches being reflective like how can you constantly improve like if we're asking that of our players to be to constantly improve as coaches we have to constantly improve and so there's probably a bit in that campaign where we wanted to make the the team really feel like it was their team like the it was a, the players team we're here like our position as a coach, the same as way as your position as as a flanker or your position as a number ten. We're just here as coaches. We're all in it together. There's no real hierarchy. We'll help guide where you need it to go. We'll just support it. We'll put some frameworks around you, all that type of stuff. And maybe we didn't quite get that balance that balance right. Um, but also maybe we we didn't we could have held the players a little bit more accountable and. And so we, as a coaching group, we probably reflected back on on that um, that part around like how could we have improved that a little bit better? Like, for example, we we only had a short um, time to prepare um, to take on the team, so we had two trainings that we wanted to do, essentially three hours on the grass, but we wanted to do it on a Saturday Sunday. And the players came to us after the Saturday training and asked if they could, look, can we have our Sunday and then we'll come together Tuesday and we'll just nail out the training on the grass of what we want to do. And we're like, um, sweet, we'll, you know, have a discussion about it with the group if the group wants to do that and you guys feel like that that's the best way we can be prepared for for Wednesday, then, yep, we're, all, we're on board as coaches. And they came back to us and they said, yep, yep, we're good to go. And we're like, yep, it. And so... We left it to them, and now I'm not saying that, be, like, regardless of the result, that was the the right thing that we should have done. But you have to kind of reflect on those mm-hmm. those moments around, like, was that best for team or was that best for the occasion? And now the reason why they wanted to take Sunday off is because it was the finals <laughs> for, <laughs> for the like, South Africa final. And so right. you're just like, well, Look, we get it, we understood it, but was that best for best for team and best for 
for or was it best for the moment the fact that you wanted to watch it with your mates and have a couple of beers and all yeah. that type of stuff. and so um they were like no 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 we're we're all good so that was their decision but yeah again I go back to like as coaches could we have done done something a bit a bit more to go to make them more accountable in in that in that space and what interestingly a very hypothetical what what do you think potentially could have happened if you stuck to the Saturday Sunday now obviously I, I appreciate like you you don't know the answer but where does your where does your gut take you yeah it's I think we still end up at the same place um like potentially like a lot of our to, to add a bit more context a lot of our players had probably three to four weeks off rugby already and so and the team that we played had just come off their season or a lot of them had just come off their season so that's still pretty match ready our boys were still fit they'd still keep their fitness up um still doing their running blocks and gym and stuff like that but we probably didn't we might have been a little bit more cohesive as a as a unit as a team so the other team they came to they assembled roughly the same amount they assembled on the Sunday. They had double trainings, plus they were living together. So there was heaps of like real like team building, cultural type of stuff. Um, able to spend more time going through, potentially they had more time to go through scenarios and all these types of stuff. Would we, did we set uh, a goal to go out and win? Um, if you put on the Canterbury badge, that's always a goal. Like, yeah, that's our a big focus is like whoever we play, it doesn't matter who we play. Like, we want to we want to win because we know everybody wants to beat Canterbury also. And so that that was a goal that we wanted to come away with a win. But we also wanted to make sure like our theme was around running it back, and what that meant was to, um, if you, we didn't want anybody to come to this team and have any regrets around any decisions that they made around either taking part in the in the squad or on field stuff we wanted them to just go out and play with the freedom that they that they had like they the reason why some of these boys are in the crusaders academy some of them have been selected for npc some of them have been training with the npc squad throughout the whole season and so it was just like look, we know that you're a talented player. We're not going to put so much structure around you that we're going to be playing this map and that map. We mm -hmm. only had two, three maps, and the whole purpose of the maps was just, like, to have some framework. But they yeah. didn't have to stick to it. They can do whatever they like. If you didn't think it worked, didn't work, then try something new. Like, you guys have the talent and the skill set within, within the group to go out and just play. And so I think... We we managed to achieve that part, mm -hmm. like some unreal tries, some really unreal parts of like passages of play, players that their superpowers just came to life around like getting the hit over the ball and getting turnovers. Our line out was functioning really well. So our hookers had a good day at the park. Our jumpers, our lifters were doing their things. Our midfield was, was going brilliant. But, yeah, there's that thing around like, if we stayed together, like, could we have come away with a win? Mm. If we had another two hours to just do some team connection stuff, could we have been a little bit closer than what it was? Mm. Maybe. But, like, 
I don't think that was, yeah, for us as a coach, we're just, as a coaching group, it was just like, well, should we have held them accountable or should we not have held them accountable? Oh, that, that's really yeah. interesting. And like, I think you can already, already sense that you are a reflective coach, your coaching teams are reflective coaches. Now this, this podcast is, is designed to be a celebration of when things don't necessarily go to plan. Um, and it's cool, obviously when, when coaching goes wrong, but it's, it's a play on words of like, just actually understanding that it could go wrong, but with a reflective piece, it could be the most invaluable coaching moment you had, whether you see it or know it at the time, who knows, but I want people to feel comfortable with the word failure because sometimes failure is the is the absolute um start of growth should you want to so is there anything in your coaching uh background where or previous experiences or something you've been involved with where you're like okay that certainly didn't go as planned or that failed and what what did that look and and feel like yeah uh i think like most of us like there's so many different mistakes that we've made along the way. Um, I go to like one halftime speech. We're playing in a in a tournament uh, down in Southland, and I was coaching a a Colts or under twenty ones Canterbury Maori team, and we're playing it at a the South Island um, tournament, and we're. We made it into the finals and my halftime speech, and it's probably where my where I put the most um emphasis on winning, like how important that was, where actually we should have been focused more on like sticking to our processes. We know what the opposition's gonna bring and we and how do we adapt where that's where I probably got the tunnel vision of like, we're so close to like winning this and you can see the gap of like where they need to focus. And I think what, what happened there is at my halftime speech, Otago Maldi had a, um, this unreal number eight and he was just, we couldn't contain him. Like we were just, he was running through us, making 20, 30 meters each carry. Um, and so I said, if we want to win this game, we need to put this guy on his ass. Like we need to stop him. And so the whole focus then just became on this one person. And then as, and this is how talented he, he was his first three carries, the boys did exactly what I said. Then he just started offloading the ball. He's like, well, I'm not making meters, but they're putting two on me now. So now I'm going to offload. So like now they're, now they're cutting us, they're getting in behind us and they're, playing this really free-flowing game with scrambling, barely holding on. And it's just like, like from there onwards, I think like we just, they they tried to make the adjustment, which was really good. They're like, okay, well, we can't do that because he's offloading. So then he's just like, oh, I've got them now. So like he's like one-on-one, he's he's making his meters and then they go and add two in and he's offloading and then they're going through. And it's just like where I think that bus ride, because we, bus road home and that's a thing was like a six hour bus ride and that there was just filled of just like like obviously the disappointment but also the there was a sense of pride like you know we got second so it's 
that's nothing to nothing to be upset about. But yeah, the fact of like the reflection back home was just like I'm I messed up here. Like I let the team down with my halftime speech. Like because I made the focus so much on one person, so much on winning rather than let's be solution solution focused. Like how do we actually get? How do we stop him from getting the ball rather than him having the ball? Like that would have been a way better problem to solve versus like, well, if he gets the ball, let's put two on him. And then he's figured, and so they did that. And so that there's was one around how important your messaging is, how important your language is. And you have to be really considered as a coach around the the message that you give people because as a coach you're in a role of power and leadership right and so and influence and so if you if you tell them this is how you want them to play and they do it that way well it's only it's only you to blame yeah and so I shouldered that I shouldered that blame I let the and said to the boys like look I I let you down there my halftime message wasn't good enough and I think the the players respected that the fact that I was the one that not that or that, that I showed a sense of like ownership on that where it could have been quite easy being like you guys lost us this game like I why did you not do this why did you, like I shouldered the like okay mm-hmm. that's on me I think that's where I learnt probably you have to take as a coach like it's not. If they're not doing something, it's because of you. Like I think Eddie Jones, maybe at the moment he's not the best person to be using as an example, but it's a pretty cool message that he puts out around. Um, like if I tell them once and they don't do it, and I tell them like it's the way that I'm, I'm either saying it to them that's not understanding it, and then if I do it twice, then I really have to look around like how do I then actually get the message through to the person like. I found that part of what, like after reading his book, really enlightening and kind of made sense to me. And then um, probably a most recent lesson that I learnt is around understanding and like the detail. And when I talk about detail is like, I think we've all sent an email right out to someone and it's like you read it over and, like the grammar's terrible, you've misspelled something. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I think it's really important that you have a good understanding of the detail. And the reason why I bring that up is we were sitting down uh, with the Canterbury XV team. We were doing our, going through our maps. And as a back, trying to tell forwards and a short man line out, this is how we're going to go. And I want this person to go here. And then they tell us, well, that's not possible. So perspective is really key and understanding that detail is really key around like, what does it, if we get tackled here, who's going to go clean that rut? Because it can't be this person because they're going to be there. It can't be this person because of that. And so, um, and the, that happened a couple of times out of 10, um, I think. We were going through a map that had a five, it was supposed to be a five man line out map. Mm-hmm. And I had six players in the line out. Now that's like a, like that went through my eyeballs, that went through my Ford's coach eyeballs, that went through when we got together as a whole coaching group, taking them through the map, that went through them. And then it wasn't, and it got past all of us. And it wasn't until we actually sat down in the team meeting going through the map, going these, when we get down to the grass, we're going to be going through this map. 
blah, blah, blah. And then our 10 goes, so is that a five or a six-man line-out you want oh. me to call? And I'm just like, huh. Um, I was like, I was like, and so what's cool about that story, because I think like every time you fail, I think it's a cool experience because you've, you've just, you've learned something new, right? So the fact that he actually spoke up and or had the courage to speak up and be like, do you want me to call that? Because he would have, he would have just called that anyway and then been like, this doesn't look right. But we ended up workshopping it, being like, okay, you're like, all right, sweet. Well, who's actually, who's going to be the best person, like as a group, who's going to be the best person in that line out then, like out of our jumpers? And so that they then let us, we shifted it around and fixed up the maps and then we're like, sweet. So does that look good to everybody? Like took it. Then I started passing it through like the leadership group, through our drivers, back through the coaches, and then present and then back out to the the whole group and be like, here's our five-man map. This is what it's supposed to look like, and this is how it's supposed to go. So showing a little bit of vulnerability, but yeah, but you also have to make sure like some of these players, like the way that they learn, the way that they understand, like if you don't have your detail right, and then if you're not don't have the courage or the vulnerability to put your hand up and say shit yeah I've, I've messed us up here that's a big that could be that could almost discredit you as a coach a wee bit I reckon or like your trust value could go down and be like okay I've messed up here be like no you can quite easily shut them down and be like no nah, run it is what it looks like up there and they'll yeah. be like mate that's not going to work no that's that's brilliant and I I actually find that as well so I I coach at Yale University, obviously a very, uh, it's an elite academic institution, elite, worldwide elite institution for academics. And the, so the people who come here are very, very switched on. Now, the rugby is, you could categorically call it grassroots rugby, but I have got to be so sharp with what I deliver to them because if it's slightly, they're always going to ask why. They remind, but in a very intellectual way. They're like my toddlers, but like in terms of why, 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 but in an intellectual way. So, like, tell me, tell me more about that, or what? Just some really, really interesting conversation around that. And I, I've been caught out as well with kind of going through emotions, particularly when I first came over here, just thinking, oh, once again, I, I know we're rugby around here, so I'm gonna we'll just we'll just do this and then someone who's played the game for five minutes is asking me some deep questions all because they want to understand that's exactly why they're not they're not there to challenge in the sense like cut authority or anything like they genuinely have a first for knowledge and what i found is one everything i present now or create now has got to be extremely well thought out and not only with me and I have to have those conversations when I have new coaching staff join going, you're going to have students here who are going to really, really challenge you. And don't be upset by that, you know, because sometimes in America, there's this kind of coaches king kind of thing. Like you, you yeah. just do what I say, like my mind, your body, you just particularly from other sports like American football, like you run this route, you run this play and you just you just do that job. Um, so sometimes the coaches come over with a with a perception that I'm going to say something and then 
you you guys will do it but so i i, I pre-warn our coaches who i i'm very selective who i bring into the environment but it's like no these guys will absolutely challenge you and they're not being disrespectful they're not being rude but they just have a real thirst for knowledge so i i have become an infinitely better coach being in in this environment because it's taught me the need for detail as you were mentioned yeah. taught me the need for for rationale and that's only made me better uh but that's come through a very similar experience about like kind of almost being called out and it was like have to scramble for the answer and I was like, I never want to be in that situation again, like ever. Like I want to be on top of it. And on top of that, and much like you did there, bring them in, bring them in the fold. This is what we're thinking about. What are your thoughts? And then going from there. Because I think that's that's really key for coaches to understand perspective, like from what you're seeing, from like because you're we're so removed from the game, right? Like we. As much as we say we're in tune to the game, we're watching completely different stuff to watch what the players are looking for and what they're watching. That that under fatigue, heart rates through the roof, like all the chemicals flying through their body. We're not too sure like where their mindset at is, like are they in the zone or are they not in the zone? Like these types of things are happening. Are they playing with pain? Are they not playing with pain? Like they've got all these environmental barriers in front of them. And then we're like, did you not see like the space out there? And you're just like three men wide and you're like, well, no, probably they didn't. Cause like, if you're actually looking at the tape, like the guy's blowing or like, he's just like, yeah. I just, he's just focusing on like, I just need to catch this ball. I just need to carry because the last ball that I caught, I dropped. And, and I think, the perspective of like we can we're seeing it from like a drone view or from like such a removed view mm-hmm. that we can see that we've got the time and space to see opportunities. Some of our players don't have that time and space. And so how we how we as coaches coaching that, but also how we as coaches showing some empathy around like actually having an awareness of going, all right, well. Are we sitting down next to our players rather than blasting them and being like, hey, when you get into this, like talk me through what in this passage of play what's happening or what you're seeing mm-hmm. and focus on like what you're seeing and then also have a look at on the other side of the ball around. And you're like, okay, well, I'm seeing I'm getting up late from this ruck. Could be something that they're talking about. I'm getting late to this ruck and I'm getting late getting set. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. What Now you're set. What, do you, what can you remember seeing? And so like, oh, I can just remember seeing that. And they're like, okay, well, now we've got to pause. Where's the opportunity? What opportunities can you see? And they're like, well, I can see a space opening up or I can see that they're a little bit disconnected there. And I was like, well, the question then goes, well, how could you see that? Like if you were in this position again, how could you? I probably need to be a little bit quicker getting off the ground. Right. Why is that important? Because I can get moving faster to get set earlier get said earlier I can steal a look over there a little bit wider rather than like shit I've just set up now the ball's at me now I've got to oh shit I'm just going to carry and it's like oh yeah what were you hearing oh, I had no comms at all what was going on did you have time to talk to anybody beside you? no not at all it's like okay well that's yeah. that's the importance of like getting off the ground right getting set early speed to set all that type of stuff but and then as a coach like you then that's where the accountability falls on you. It's like now you've highlighted it. Now you, what are you as a coach going to do to help 
prepare yes. them to be better rather than go, we did it again. It's like, no, you've yes. your role is to help. That, yeah. That's so, so key. How do you, okay, we've identified an area and often we've we've come collaboratively, we've found an area where we want to get better on. Yeah, how how do then we create the situations that they they often see in a game? And there's always going to be outliers out there, right? But it's like, how can we how can we hit the hierarchy? You know, the hierarchy of needs. What are we seeing on every on any given day? Because if you if you go for everything, it's scattergun, right? It's like, how do we and we kind of use a language in our environment? How do we layer on? How do we how do we layer on from the foundations and uh, yeah, and it's it's so key. Like just even a little way where you were talking as a coach there, it's essentially how do we become proactive? How do we get out of reactive and get into proactive? Like how do we? And then it's the nuances involved in that. And also even on a game day, depending on on your environment, like most coaches are on the sideline. You like even with your very specific positioning, you can't really see what the players are seeing on the north south look you know and and vice versa they can't they can't necessarily see what you're like when you're like get it wide like get it wide in there all the way like what does that mean you know what i mean get, yeah. get it, how what do it by, by kicking doing so it's just so so interesting how you're talking about how you get to a stage of identifying something we want to get better at or are doing well and how do we continue or how do we find a, an area of improvement? And, yeah, I think that's the the nuances and the subtlety of, of coaching, right? And, and, yeah, it is. And I think it, me 10 years ago or, like, when I first started coaching, that's – I'd tell them the answer. Like, I wouldn't question them through – I wouldn't guide them through that process. I would have told them, it's like, look, you're too bloody slow getting off of the ground here. Because you're too slow, you can't get set. Now – that might not have been that you always I always feel I want whoever I'm having a conversation with to leave with like their pride intact mm-hmm. or with their confidence intact. Like I don't want to take that away from them. I want them to make sure that like when whatever conversation that they leave, they're they're leaving curious and they're leaving motivated. And if they're not leaving with those those two things, like I've probably messed up as a coach, right? Because if they're not curious to get better. They're not going to be motivated to get better either. And so I love, I love that so much. Like, and that that is so that's aspirational, but to every every single conversation that you have, and that can actually go in in bigger, that can even go in life, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. You want you want people feeling energized after you've had a, a conversation with them. Even okay, so here we go. So for example, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, it's a difficult conversation all right you are you're not selecting someone for a weekend and it was touch and go between player a and player b you went with player a um how would you go about making them feel curious and and motivated in that in that situation and i know i'm putting you on the spot there yeah yeah um i think that it's it's funny because when you started talking to Talking about that, I go back to a conversation. I actually go to a conversation that Steve Hansen that I had with Steve Hansen once, and on like on the podcast here at Canterbury Rugby is he talked around the um, having to um, pick either Angus Gardner for the Crusaders or Scott Robinson, and at at that stage they're almost going weak about 
and for for Steve this particular game his gut feel was to select Razor over over Gus and so his conversation with Gus is like hey essentially went hey Gus look we're going to go with Scott this week because we feel like in the first half he's going to give us this this and this the facts and then um, in the second half we're going to bring you on because we feel like at that the last part of the game you're going to give us this this and this and um and then Gus the way that Gus did came back with him around like kind of like what your players would do like all like why could we not do that in the first half type stuff and then Steve just went back to him it's like it's a gut feel mate like that's at the end of the day like it's a gut feel if it around deselection like they are real difficult conversations and I know that coaches kind of shy shy away from them from from like oh we'll just put the team name up and we'll just leave it there and, and then we'll we'll bugger off and you know they'll yeah. they'll have to Run suck away. it up type thing. Yeah. my approach generally would probably be they'd probably know by the time like if I'm coaching the club and we only train Tuesday Thursday they'll probably know by Thursday that they're going to be coming off the bench or they're not going to be selected at all because we would have had conversations all the way through the week and I think if you have those conversations early and if with them around like hey look this week this is our plan what do you what do you reckon like you'd be like I reckon if they think that you're on the same page so for example um I'll think around I'm I'm thinking back to our Canterbury XV, XV team we essentially picked selected a squad and we knew that who our 23 was going to be when we went into it, but we just didn't know who was going to be our starters and who was going to coming off, going to come off the bench. And so the conversation was um, we had two halfbacks. One has played for the Crusaders and played NPC, and one had just got his NPC contract. And so the conversation with um, we actually started the younger player who hadn't played any NPC or any Super Rugby and said, we want you to start the game because we want to play really fast and we want to play on top of them. And he likes to scoot all the time. Like he'll pick the ball up at the base of the ruck and he'll attack the second, third man. He'll drop somebody off into a hole. He'll get the pods moving. And then our 10 is also that we had was also a fast 10. So he liked playing on top of players like, he wouldn't care if he, if we gave him maps or didn't give him maps. He'd just play whatever in front of him. If there's nobody in front of him, he's running. If there's somebody in front of him, he's attracting and he's dishing. And so we felt those that 9-10 combo would have complemented our style of play. And so the conversation with, with, uh, um, with the other player was, we want you to do what you do best when you come off the bench. And when you come off the bench, like we want you to be tough on defence because we want we want to close out the game, or we want to try and you know get back into the game, depending on how the game goes. We want you to run the ball. We want you to like just get the ball in your hands and get out of it as fast. Like we want you to show your class. And then if we need to use your boot, we want you to use your boot because you've probably got a, a better boot than than the other player. And it's just like, oh yeah, sweet. So that conversation was all like difficult to tell a guy that's played Super Rugby that he's going to be coming off a bench against a guy that hasn't played super rugby before, but he, we had those conversations early and slowly, like throughout the week, it'd be like, Oh, what are you thinking around this? I'm thinking 
this and this and this. And I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. What do you, what do you reckon, like, in the second half, if we're down by six, like, what do you reckon, what do you reckon we should, we could be doing here? Like, mm. like almost kind of like he's giving me his answers going, oh, yeah, well, I reckon that, like, you are definitely going to be the person that's going to ice the game for us. Like, yeah. like you're yeah. the perfect. And so if you're having those conversations slowly and surely, by the time it comes to like letting them know that they're either not on the not on the team or they're not starting, whatever, I think I think that difficult conversation isn't difficult anymore. Like mm-hmm. they're just like, oh yeah, I understand my role in the team. And I think that's the that's the part that maybe we don't talk about enough is like when people want to be a part of the team, they they want to know that how are they gonna contribute to the team and then if you don't tell them have that conversation with them early or clear enough that what their purpose is and if you're a little bit flippant around like look we just think that that person's better than you are then they're just they're going to have like a little bit of a chip on their shoulder Mm -hmm. but if you if you go if you lay out their plan they're going to be like, okay, well, sweet. I know how I'm going to contribute to the team. I'm going to put team first, that all that type of stuff, and then, boom, away they go. And I, again, like selection does become a little bit of a gut. It is a bit of a gut feel, a bit of like, okay, well, they have this, they have that, but generally, like, you can you can do with whatever you can with whatever you've got, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not it's not really, and it's everything's kind of subjective around selection as well. But if you we go back to that detail, if you're detailed enough and you're clear enough with your messaging and your conversations, you have them early enough, they're not going to be difficult conversations. They're just going to be conversations. You're so right. And it's all about also the strength of relationship. Um, yeah. have, you, have you manufactured across the years or the time you've been working with the individuals? Have you manufactured? Well, not manufactured is probably the wrong word. Have you created... A genuine relationship and that doesn't mean it has to be huggy huggy or everything it needs to be a respectful working relationship and also another way that i've i've found which has helped me uh most recently is go look i'm not asking you to like the decision i'm asking you to understand where it's coming from and provide the the rationale and also then going but this is the important role that you have in this in this team um and making it a bit more about like how they can contribute as opposed to how the other person is going to contribute like as saying look this is this is their strengths i'm picking them because this this or be like look i'm this is about you i'm i want you to start because of this or i want you to fight to start next week because of this like giving it back to them um as opposed to directly pitting them against each other now competition's healthy but you don't yeah. want to. You don't want to have like, uh, as you said, the chip on your shelf or direct. You need a respectful um, and healthy competition, not like a resentful yeah. one, um, which is which I've always found really interesting as well. Yeah. Well, we talk. Um, probably one of my one of my mentors, um, Martin Field Dodson, talks around com- being competitive but not being competitive. Mm-hmm. Like you want to be competitive nice. With, nice. with them. But you don't want to be competitive. Like you, you, you're playing for the same team. Like we're one team. We're, we're like we talk around brotherhoods and all that type of stuff. And as soon as you become competitive, or as soon as players become competitive, 
then like things start leaking into like your team culture. And if you spent so much time establishing the team culture and what you said was perfect around like, have you built the relationship? Have you created an environment where like you can have like honest conversations, truthful conversations? Like if you've got that set, then competitiveness is probably at that part is around just holding people accountable. Like I've watched um when I spent some time over in the UK, watched Saracens train and then I was watching Aaron Farrell and like he's just going absolutely berserk at players and telling them it's just like you're supposed to be an England player and this and that and you're just like, holy heck, like he is like going at it. But it's like he's not doing it in a way around like you're a terrible person, you're a terrible player. He's going at, like it's coming off as like, no, if we want to win this game, our standard has to be better. You can't run a line like the line that you just ran because if you do that, you're going to get tackled. Or if you do that, we're going to turn the ball over. He's he's going, you just have to be better. Like we need, as a group, we need to be better. Like I'm not doing everything perfect for you to mess it up. Like, And you're like, holy heck. And you see it, like if you watch, and you probably would have been – and heaps of like seeing that happen at Yale a number of times around players just getting like their, their competitive frustrations of like, I know you can do better. Why aren't you being better? Like what mm. is going on? Mm. Yeah. We have a really interesting environment at Yale because everyone who's came in, it's probably very similar to, to you guys in terms of prospects coming into Canterbury and then the cream rising to to up to the Crusaders and and obviously ultimately the All Blacks. And so our environment is made of people who are used to being excellent in their in their initial environments, for example, high school and all that. They are number one. They are the best. They are the rock star. And then when you come into Yale, hang on a minute, everyone's a bit of a rock star. You know what I mean? Everyone's excellent. And then it becomes a bit of that. That the initial few weeks is like the initial scramble to to who can get to the top but interestingly as well it, it can it can spook people because they're like whoa hang on and then it becomes kind of keeping up with the joneses you know like you lose your authenticity a little bit or your confidence has been knocked a bit and we actually find people overcompensating a little bit in our environment and we we actually go feel free to make a mistake it's okay. Our job here is to to help you get better because not many of them have played rugby before. That's a unique nature of of American colleges, particularly at Yale. Like a lot of them are new to rugby, but they yeah. want to be the best instantly. And it's like, well, hang on. There's processes we're going to build, and we're going to help you help you get there. And it's yeah, it's just managing those real competitive um, urges, while some people are like, oh, this is way more, and I bargain for because everyone's good and i used to be the best so how do we get their confidence back you know it's such a i mean it comes down to just working as a team but it's the crucial crucial thing is the individuals in the team how do you how do you connect with them so they become the best versions yeah. of themselves and i think that's probably one of the biggest lessons that i learned like i spent a lot of time at sumner rugby which is raised robinson's um local club and like just talking to like talking to him and he's like if you like if you get the player's heart you get their mind like and you're just like wow like how powerful is that like you have to like you have to know the person before you know the performer like 
if you don't know the person, you don't know the performer. And then I think, um, is it John O'Sullivan's book, Every Moment Matters? Like he talks around like behind every player is a person behind every person is a story. And like, if you don't know what that person's story is, like, why are you playing rugby? Like, what do you love about rugby? Like what motivates you? What gets you ticking? Like for your example, like why did you choose Yale instead of Duke? Why did you like, or Harvard or whatever? They'll be like, well, I wanted to, you know, mum and dad came to Yale. This is where they mm-hmm. met. So this is like family. And you're just like, oh, okay. So family is really important yes. to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my mum and dad are everything, and you know, me coming here is like a kind of I want to give back to them. I want to give back to like what the like it's always been a dream to play for Yale or whatever it is. And you're like, awesome. Is so now you understand who the now you understand the story, you understand the person. It's like, okay, well, tell me a bit more around like where do you want to get to? Like, what is like sky's the limit, blue sky thinking? And they're like, well, you know, I want to play for play on the MLR to try and get into the Eagles and like, oh, so you want to be play for represent your your country. What would that mean? And they'd be like, oh, that just mean everything to me to like represent the my country to play in the World Cup, blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, so now you now you know their drivers. Now you know who's driving them, who's motivating them. Now you kind of tapped into them. And so when you know their story and who the person is, the conversations aren't become a little bit more deeper rather than small talk. So we're having conversations around like, oh, well, when was the last time, like, when was the last time you saw mum and dad? Oh, I haven't seen them for a wee while. It's like, oh, I've, I've actually noticed that you've been down a wee bit. Like, have, when mm. did you last talk to them? They're like, oh, I haven't talked to them. It's like, well, after training, make sure you flip mum or dad a text or try and jump on a FaceTime with them and stuff like that and let them know know what you've been up to. And like, just those types of things and then, like constantly checking in on them because as soon as you do that, as soon as you show them that you care as a, from a coaching point of view, then like you've, you've got them. I, you've got that whole trust has like completely built up to go. All right. Now when we have those, these conversations around, Hey, look, I'm not selecting you this week. And here's, here's a couple of reasons why. And it's just like, you know, you're a little bit slow off getting off the ruck and they're like, oh, yeah, I've got a knee injury. I was like, you need to tell me about these, like, these injuries. So let's get you sorted. We'll give you – you're going to get your 20 minutes, and these are the things that I need you to get through in these 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, sweet. Once once I can see these, let's map this out, what these look like. Boom. Let's try and – let's get you into a state where you're competing, competing to get that that number seven jersey back or or whoever it is. And they're like, oh, yeah, sweet. So now you've got like, but you have to like, your integrity as a coach really matters in these moments. That's where you actually have to follow up with what you're doing. Yeah. Talking to either your medical staff or you're talking to your forwards coach or your breakdown coach and be like, hey, look, you need to work on, they need to work on like getting over the ball, getting their head right over the ball because they're being a little bit tentative. They're kind of stretching out, not actually going full noise, get them right in the ball. And oh, yeah, sweet. And then I think that's where you've, you've created a really safe environment for one player. If you can do that for your squad of, I know, say 30, and it doesn't have to be you as the coach, you can divvy them out across your coaching group. But if you can create that, everybody feels comfortable and safe, then you've got a really awesome environment. And I think this is what's great around our Canterbury environments and our Crusaders environments is like the the person always comes first. Like before anything, like if the person's not okay, like 
they'll do everything they can to make sure the person's okay. Like, is it skill sessions? Do they need to talk to someone? Do they need a nutritionist? Do they need a new gym plan? Do they just need a week off to go down to mm-hmm. Queenstown and spend time with their family? Do they need to see have mum and dad at the game? Like, what is it that this person needs to be performing at their very best versus the other side of thing where you just be like, look, you haven't given us a turnover for three games. Like, catch you later. Yeah. yeah. Then what have you got? You haven't, you probably don't have a player next year or the next three games because they're just like, well, stuff this. I'm yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. It's, all, there's some so much good, good stuff in there. Like, absolutely brilliant. It, actually, just what you were saying there reminds me when I was watching the, the Chicago Bulls documentary recently and and the coach understanding that Dennis Rodman needed to go away to Vegas for a few days to to let off steam. Now, would he have let that do to anyone? Um, probably not, but he had to go and let him go away, do his thing as an individual to come back and and ultimately help the team. That's obviously one of the ex- more extreme examples, but that can happen. Like, why don't you just take, like, I have it regularly. Like, why don't you just take this session off? Get your schoolwork done. Your schoolwork's adding up. You're under pressure. And like if you're under, we talk about having the the buckets all equally full from rugby, academics, social life, extracurriculars. How do we get them level? And sometimes rugby is the one to go. And they're a bit shocked as a rugby coach telling them that rugby's got to drop off. Like they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, no, but look, it's fine. And it kind of, it really hit me. Like I often use a saying there when you were just talking through conversations with coaches around, um, with players, my my best coaching happens in a coffee shop. It really yeah. does because that's where you're, you're away from the field. You can have a one-on-one conversation. It's not often about rugby. That that normally gets around to it, but you're, you're just building that rapport, that genuine rapport with people, and you get to understand where you're at. Oh, coach, academics is really, really piling up right now. Okay, why? Okay, yeah, maybe I've been going out three times this week. You know what I mean? And it's been affecting me. And I was like, all right, well, how, here's a plan to help you get get better, you know? So sometimes you can be good cop, bad cop, big brother, little brother. You know what I mean? It's just it's just using the right tools for the right time. But you can't do that if you don't have a, a rapport or a relationship with, with any given individual. And essentially, that's what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to make better people. And rugby, the byproduct is usually a better rugby player. Yeah, and I th- you're you've definitely hit the nail on the head there because, yeah, it's that was like such a cool lesson because we're, we're so far now removed from like that post-war mentality of like, here's a team we're going to drill you, you're going to work as a unit. I'm going to tell you because I'm the commander. You're the you're the privates. So you're going to have to do. You're the grunts. So you're going to have to do what I tell you. We're so far removed to that now. To like that's not performance anymore. Like even. Like the research is starting to show, like even like the Dave Seals or like elite forces or mission critical forces, like they have each of them have in their own individual plans. It's not one size fits all because not one person is the same. Like even twins have different mm-hmm. around their personalities and who's who and, and whatever it is. And it's just like, well, if you don't understand the person, you're never gonna understand the player. And and that's probably yeah, that's definitely one of the best lessons that I've learned. Um, from from Razor is that like like if you get that right like the rugby is going to take care of itself mm-hmm. like it it will it will ultimately take care of itself and and you've seen like the Crusaders have done what seventeen and seven in a row 
um, with like literally that that feel and that vibe. I think behind you, you can see yeah. all like the championships that they've that we've won here for Canterbury with our national competition here. Like it is around that that a lot of it talking to the the coaches like the Wayne Smiths, the Steve Hansons, the Grizz Wileys, the Robbie Deans around like what made your team such great teams, and they they say like it is it comes down to the fact that they cared about their players, they gave their players enough freedom around like or ownership around their game, what they wanted their team like, how, what do you want from your team? And then they just put the infrastructure around them to make and to support them to be like, sweet. Well, our role here is to help you to be at your best. And what does that, what does that mean? Like Wayne Smith brought in Gilbert Hinoka to like as a mental skills coach, and like when mental skills being a mental skills coach like wasn't even like a thing. Like it, that was people thought it was hoodoo or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And it was just like, but the the players needed he. Wayne thought that the players need to understand like the difference around like understanding pressure a little bit differently or being able to speak openly to someone that isn't their coach. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's like, I know that the pods around like what are some failures, but like constantly, if you're not failing as a coach, you're not growing or learning as a coach. Like you have to go into that, like that learning pit of like constantly stretching yourself to like mm. fail, to like learn something because you can't constantly keep growing, getting better and getting better, getting better. If you're not like down in the troughs trying to dig your way out of it. I had an interesting, just doing this podcast that one of the coaches said, fail up, fail up. Yeah fail but like how do you get up from after it and i thought that was a really cool little concept now look you've had a wealth a wealth of experience in your time and obviously you're in and around on a daily basis not only just your immediate environment but new zealand in general some amazing coaches and some amazing resources but where where do you go to find um some of your learnings for example books or podcasts that you you some just ideas to share with uh with the listeners that they can go off and maybe have a little have a think about oh geez my library is extensive like reading is huge for me and like we talked about at the start of it just got an eight month old so i haven't had a chip don't um I'm not as blessed as what I used to be when I was just had the 15 and, and 10 year old where I could sit down and spend an hour or two just reading. So audio book, audio books have been like a, a, a gift from the heavens for me um, this year, but yeah, reading's been huge. And I think um, like it doesn't constantly have to be like autobiographies or like reading around the best coaches where you get the best ideas or the, or the most curiosity around like how can you apply this to that and I think like the breadth of knowledge if you've got a wide breadth of knowledge you kind of start having like this global um understanding of like how things could fit into coaching nice. um, and so like one of like a great book to read would be like um David Epstein um range like that is there would be an epic book like coach's book that's not even about coaching but it's understanding around like understand having a better understanding of a range of knowledge can actually improve the way that you think um 
I've read a lot of Adam Grant's work around like think again is like a favorite book of mine just like constantly rethinking your ideas and you don't have to change your mind but like why do you always like why can't you change your mind like if you want to play like a for a coach if you like I just want to play one three three one because you get this this and this like if you're doing something that everything's everybody's doing like how do you innovate like how do you do things a little bit differently? Like you're gonna to have to rethink your shape. Going, well, actually, maybe I might play a one-five-two. Like maybe that might be a little bit of a better shape for us with the the caliber of yeah. of players we have. So like thinking through, critically thinking through your ideas. Um, podcasts like you can't go past the high performance podcast. Yeah. Um, like the types of guests that they get on with the level of knowledge and experience they have like knowing Damien like he's even his books are epic as well but the yeah, mm. way that they ask questions is is also amazing and then I think the but if I did go like three books that coaches probably should read one would probably be Gary Klein's Sources of Power Understanding Decision Making a lot to help you understand decision making a lot better that was um i think that's such an awesome book um motivational interviewing i can't the the um titles skip my mind what it is but yeah there's a book around motivational interviewing and how it works on coaching and that just helps you ask question like better questions because mm-hmm. i think if you don't ask better questions as a coach you're not going to get good answers um, and that's what you want to try and to trying to do. So um, that's a good book. And yeah, Adam's Adam's book at Think Again. Like if you if you read that, you're gonna you're like I'm not gonna say you're gonna understand coaching a lot better, but your mind's definitely gonna get a lot more curious around it. And I think that's the that's the key to being a um, or one of the keys to being a good coach is being a curious coach. If you're not curious, then you're not gonna learn. Brilliant. Hey, look, yeah. Ricky. Uh, so many bits of gold in there. I think we could we could have went on for another couple of hours for sure. Yeah. So I just want to say a huge, huge thank you for sharing um, some of your knowledge, but also being vulnerable in there and and sharing some of the stuff which was uh, sometimes a little bit harder. I think it's good for for people to hear and and also people aren't on their own. So I just want to say a big thank you, my man, and uh, I look forward to connecting sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. No, it's been a um it's been a it's been a real pleasure having this conversation. And I think you're right. I think the more that we can share our failures, the better coaches or the more that we open up about our failures, the more coaches will be willing to actually open up about their own failures and to be vulnerable a little bit more and explore them a little bit more. So this is this has been an awesome conversation. Brilliant. Thanks very much, my man. No worries.